power. Superpower. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 15th episode of Slime Time SideQuest, an official Dragon's Den podcast. This is Platinum 3. And this is Yangus the Legendary Bandit. You know what, Yangus? I'm pretty pumped about this episode tonight, but I'll tell you what, I wasn't pumped enough to think about an intro. Couldn't just couldn't come up with one. Yeah, it's been tricky to tricky to uh, think of something for tonight, but I have an idea. I did write up a little something at work today, just kind of spitballing ideas, so we could try using that. You okay with that? Uh, since I got nothing, sure. Go ahead. Give it a read. All right. All right. <clears throat> So, tonight, we're going to be talking about Super Nintendo games, but originally, we were going to be doing a Monster Hunter episode. Wasn't a whole lot of interest in that one in particular, so this episode of Slime Time Side Quest is going to unofficially be brought to you by Monster Hunter Rise, coming out March 26th. It's a brand new game in the Monster Hunter series that takes place in a feudal Japan-type area of the world. New monsters to control, monsters that you literally get to control to fight monsters, as well as new sidekicks like the Powerpup, and all sorts of new weapons, new techniques, new ways to get around, all sorts of crazy new stuff for Monster Hunter. So remember, when you think Slime Time Side Quest, you think Monster Hunter Rise, available March 26th. Demo available now on Nintendo Switch. Back to you, Platy. Okay, so uh, no lie, I had to mute myself. My laughter might have been uh, louder than your intro there. But uh, yeah, that, that sets us up perfectly to talk about Monster Hunter Stories coming out July 9th, right? Right? We got that coming up? Yes, we do. Yes. So whatever. We're not here to talk Monster Hunter tonight. We probably, maybe we will be able to after July. Uh, Yangus, you can talk uh, Monster Hunter Rise. I can talk Monster Hunter Stories, too. Um, maybe we'll have a fellow convert somewhere in between then or now and then. But right now, we're here to talk uh, Super Nintendo. Uh, we did NES. We did Game Boy Color in advance. What, six months ago? It seems like we've uh, gone six whole months without just focusing on a console. But uh, Super Nintendo had so many good games, we need to kind of break this up. Um, so tonight we're just going to talk about the non-role-playing game Super Nintendos we all love so much. Um, we'll talk about a couple each. And joining us tonight, we have Brurian and Pendy. Hello, I think. How's it going? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're back. We're back. It's soon. Assuming this is actually Super Nintendo, I'm not sure anymore. I don't <laughs> confuse. Now I'm confused. We, we are. Angus <laughs> was going to get that power. Monster Hunter in somewhere somehow, and yep. he did. <laughs> no intro was planned, so I came up with my own, baby. <laughs> now, now all the, uh, the the strike through text that uh, all the cool kids on the Discord use. I wonder if I can put that in the episode title. <laughs> <laughs> Side quest uh, 15, Monster Hunter, cross that. <laughs> See, now everybody, everyone was expecting us to do that on April 1st, so now we now we got them ahead of time. Because I said on the Discord we would do that for April 1st. <laughs> <laughs> April Fool's before April. <laughs> Dang. I mean, I, I, could, I could not edit this for, you know, the next three weeks. But no. Who are we kidding? You'll get this done in an hour tonight after we finish. Yeah, we might. <laughs> we'll upload part two first and say part one's the sequel, but it's still the prequel. <laughs> oh, man. Between the intro and that one, you've already lost me. So, <laughs> my since my head's already spinning, uh, we'll get to a game that might get some head spinning. Pendy, your uh, first game you want to talk about, Super Punch-Out, right? Yes. I'm going to talk about Super Punch-Out, the sequel to Punch-Out on the NES. 
So Super Punch-Out! was released in September in North America in 1994. It was an an adaptation of the arcade Super Punch-Out!, which was first released in arcades in 1984 in Japan in 1985 in North America. But in Japan, Super Punch-Out! for the Super Famicom did not get released until 1998. I had no idea about this. Did you guys realize that? It's four years in between when we got uh, Super Punch-Out! in America on the Super Nintendo and when Japan actually got it on the Super Famicom. Like, I can't think of any games made by Nintendo that was released in America first with such a large gap in between the North America release and the Japanese release. At first I thought, well, maybe it's because boxing isn't as popular in Japan as it is in the U.S. But then I looked up like a a Super Nintendo football game as an example, the Tecmo Bowl, and that wasn't the case there. Like it got released in Japan uh, like one month and then in America the next. So there wasn't like any kind of a gap at all. So I'm I'm not sure why there was such a huge gap between the the releases, but I thought that was interesting. Uh, Another fun fact about this game is that Charles Martinet, the guy who is the famous voice actor for Mario, did all the voice acting for this game. He was the announcer, the referee, and all the boxers in Super Punch-Out! So I thought that was fun. All of them? Yeah, that's what uh, I looked up. He said he did all the characters. Well, I mean, I guess back in Super Nintendo time, they didn't have, like, gigantic voice casts. And I think, doesn't he have kind of like a wide range of like goofy characters that he does anyways? I think that's kind of his thing. Yeah. yeah. Yep. He's also done some serious roles too and later in his career. But <laughs> but yeah, he, he's known for doing like the crazy voices like Mario and Luigi and a lot of other more cartoony characters. But yeah, I mean, there's not much voice acting in this game, but like there's you know, like a huge difference between some of the voices that he does from like the referee and some of the boxers. So it's, it's fun because there's a wide range wide uh, array of characters in this game but yeah, the, I, had, uh, I had no idea ah, but the uh, the gameplay is similar to nes punch out uh, you can punch the face or the body you can dodge side to side or you can duck uh, one of the bigger differences between the two versions is that you have a meter where you can fill up uh, to land once you uh, max it out then you can land powerful uppercuts super body blows or even you can do rapid fire punches which are fun to pull off whereas like in the nes version you would get stars and you could do like super super uppercuts but here it's more variety so it's interesting Another uh, fun fact about this game is uh, what I found with the protagonist. So is this little Mac that you play as in this game? I actually don't know. So it's different characters, you know, it looks like a different character. He's got blonde hair and it seems like he's a different height. But I found uh, dueling theories on it on the internet. Like supposedly there was American promotional material that says like, yes, this is little Mac. Uh, But I didn't see anything that backed it up. I couldn't find anything. Uh, that actually said that. I did look up the original instruction booklet for this game. Doesn't name the boxer at all. Just says player one. Looked throughout it. Does not mention what the boxer's name is supposed to be. Supposedly, the original producers of the game said, no, it's not this person. But that was just some website that claimed that. I didn't actually see any sources to back it up. And then... What's interesting is that the same character from Super Punch-Out! shows up as a licensed bonus character in Fight Night Round 2, which was like, I think it was like PlayStation 2, Xbox, uh, GameCube at the time. And it actually says Mac on his shorts. So I guess it's supposed to be the same guy, but different hair? I don't know for sure. Have you guys heard anything about this? I believe it is supposed to be him, and I can tell you why. Um, In Smash Brothers, there actually is an alternate color scheme for Little Mac, that specifically references uh, Super Punch Out. Yeah, I and saw that. They, um, I think it was on Sakurai's um, column that he used to do in Smash Four because that was when 
Little Mac was first introduced, mm-hmm. they said that uh, all of Little Mac's color schemes are based on his various appearances throughout the entire Punch-Out! series. Like, if you ever play Punch-Out! for the Wii, like, a lot of his color schemes are based on the different outfits that he can wear. There's, you know, of course, the pink um, jumpsuit that he wears for, or it's not jumpsuit, uh, his jogging suit that he wears. Yep. And when it came to that blonde one, they were like, yeah, Little Mac went through quite a, a facelift during the Super Nintendo era, but nowadays he's back to his classic, his classic black and green attire and his classic black hair. So I don't know if they made him, you know, have the blonde hair and the different change and the kind of the different look to be more appealing to the West or something, but it, it technically is the same character as Oz nice. as he looks in that game. Yeah, I wonder if maybe they they retconned it at some point. It's like, oh yeah, it's it's him. We swear. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What a weird but, little thing to like be so mysterious about. I know. Ooh, is it Mac? <laughs> is it Little Mac or not? <laughs> yeah, but people, I noticed that people loved to argue about it. I was like, wow, there's like some intense arguments about whether this guy is Little Mac or not. But okay, <laughs> okay there. Uh, Unless we don't run in those circles enough. No. <laughs> Okay, so for this, for uh, Super Punch-Out, there are classic NES Punch-Out characters that return, such as uh, Bald Bull, Sandman, and Macho Man. And then, of course, there's lots of new characters that make their debut as well, such as Bear Hugger, Mad Clown, and Piston Hurricane. Uh, I particularly like the last round of boxers that you have to go up against. The first one that you run into is Narciss Prince, which is a, a take on Narcissist, which, you know, surprise, surprise, the character gets very, very mad when you hit him in the face. He actually will kind of like back up and then kind of charge you if you do uh, hit him in the face as opposed to body blows. So that's fun to see. And then the next guy is Hoi Quarlo. Don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But he's a uh, Chinese Kung Fu martial arts master. He's supposed to be 78 years old and he uses his walking cane as a weapon. Because I guess that's allowed in boxing. But that's the fun of the game. It's very cartoony with a wide array of colorful characters. Lots of them have crazy moves that you wouldn't normally see in boxing matches. Boxing matches, obviously, like, you know, people doing kicks and spitting and all sorts of weird stuff. But it's fun that way. Uh, Lastly, at the end of the game, it's rounded out with these two twin brothers called Rick and Nick Bruiser, uh, who you fight one after the other. And they'll give you a good challenge. They won't give you the uh, the NES Mike Tyson challenge because that was damn near impossible. But they will still give you a pretty good challenge to beat the game. Uh, currently, if you want to buy this game, you know, without having to get a Super Nintendo, if you have a 3DS, you can find it on the eShop, which I believe is still up. And if you happen to have gotten one of those uh, S Super Nintendo Minis, they have it on that as well. I highly recommend this game. I also think the learning curve is pretty well adapted throughout the game compared to its NES predecessor that really spikes there at the end of it. It's very entertaining. And uh, have you guys also played this game in the past as well? No. I, I can't say I've, I've ever man, played a Super Mike Punch-Out Tyson game. Was probably the last, I think Mike Tyson was the last time I've ever tried on NES was the last time I ever tried. I've never played this one personally. I've played other entries in the Punch-Out series, but... For some reason, I've just never played Super Punch-Out. Oh, did you play the, the Wii Punch-Out game? Oh, yeah. I played that a ton back when that oh, came out. One yeah. of my older cousins had brought it down with him from Minnesota uh, for a family get-together. And it was pre- it was pretty addicting to play that. And that's and actually, that was something that back when, and you were on this episode too, Pendy, um, when we did our Halloween episode, I kind of touched on the studio that made it. Uh, they're the guys that went on to make stuff like Luigi's Mansion 3 and... Uh, some other stuff from Nintendo. And they really do a good job, like, ex- what the expressions and sort of the fun zaniness of these different punchers from the Punch-Out! series. And a oh, few yeah. of them that, 
and a few of them that were from Super Punch-Out, like Bear Hugger, he's actually in um, the, the Punch-Out game for the Wii. He's in the second round of opponents, if I remember right, as the second opponent that you face in uh, the Major League. And what's funny is his upgraded version that he fights with, um, you see that he's been training with a bear, and he's, like, chugging down maple syrup, and uh-huh. he, he's got a little squirrel buddy that'll, like, hide underneath his hat and will jump out and, like, imitate what he's going to do so you know how to dodge his stuff. Oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, I, I played the Wii. Um, I just never got past the upgraded version, so I couldn't even get past Class Joe with his little boxing helmet. <laughs> I did not I did not get good enough to to do the upgraded versions. But yeah, that's, that's fun too. But yeah, if you guys ever get a chance to play this, it's super fun. I played this in, I found this in college because I played it for my original Super Nintendo on a ROM, but it's a lot of fun. It's really good. I think if I remember right, the, uh, Super Punch-Out has like a Bob Marley lookalike guy. Yes. Yep, that's one of the characters as well. That one I remember. I remember seeing him in, I think it was a screenshot for the game on somewhere a long time ago. But I remember seeing him, I'm like, that looks like Bob Marley. <laughs> yeah, there's like a Bruce Lee type character where he's like doing, you know, lots of kicks and karate moves and stuff like that too. Like there's all sorts of weird characters. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> all right. Well, you knocked it out with that first one. We'll uh, move down our list. And Brurian, what do you want to talk about first tonight? So, uh, I guess we can start off with um, kind of a unknown. I, I've never personally met anybody else who, is, who has ever heard of this game, let alone played it. <laughs> uh, it's called, in North America at least, it was called Operation Logic Bomb, The Ultimate Search and Destroy. Now, what's interesting about this game is that uh, while it is a... Uh, like it's 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 kind of this weird one-off, right? So in Japan, there was a Game Boy game called we 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 got the Game Boy game. And it was called Fortified Zone, but in Japan it has the name uh, Ikari no Yosai, which translates to literally the Fortress of Fury. Um, it later got a sequel that never came stateside, but then it got a Super Nintendo sequel which we came to know as Operation Logic Bomb, although in Japan they call it Ikari no Yosai, the Fortress of Fury. While it shares the same exact name, it's not a remake of the original Game Boy game, it's just a completely new title that just happens to share the same name, and uh, makes no sense. But Operation Logic Bomb <laughs> makes even less sense. <laughs> now, oh, this game... you know what? I now I realize where I've seen this game... They have this on the Super Nintendo Switch app that they have for the Switch Online. Oh, That's do they? They've, they... Actually, they've actually added this one? Yeah, it's on there. It's one of I'm the games. I'm very surprised. That's... All right, well, if you've got a Switch, let me talk about it, and you can go play it. Um, right. <laughs> so this game was released by Jolico in 1990, April of 1993 in Japan, and we got it later in the year in September. Um, so the basic story of this game is, uh, I pulled this from the manual, and from the manual it says, At a secret lab, developing technology in interdimensional physics, some kind of accident has occurred. Suddenly, all contact is lost with the facility, and power has shut down. The, di- di- the dimensional fabric surrounding the facility seems weak, and strange monsters have been sighted. Concerned, an unknown agency preps a cybernetic soldier and his weapon to investigate. So you take control of the cybernetic uh, soldier uh, called Hero, H-I-R-O, though in the North American release they renamed him to Agent Logan for oh. no real reason. 
So you work your way through um, uh, through different stages, and you upgrade your weaponry uh, along it as you go. You start with two basic attacks, a kind of straightforward um, machine gun attack. It feels like... So the best way I can describe this is it plays kind of like a contra game in this aspect of you've got your machine gun as your main weapon and you've got a spread fire that you can switch to although you're playing at kind of a top-down isometric style with the graphics so you see the map from the top and you move your character uh, around like that um, and that's how you navigate through the levels but due to the limitations and the whole eight ways that you can move and fire uh, since you don't have like a second stick or anything, you have to use the shoulder buttons to lock yourself into kind of a strafing movement so you can continue to fire in a direction that you want while while moving at the same time. So, you know, while you're firing, you don't try to turn around and start firing the other way. Uh, as you move through the levels, you'll access computer memory banks that will show footage or cutscenes of things that have happened previously, giving you more context of what has happened within the facility. And um, so one of the first ones that you get is some scientists are having a meeting and all of a sudden kind of a dimensional warp kind of happens. And then these bad guys just kind of start popping up out of nowhere and chasing down and killing the scientists. Uh, and you'll get more story as you hit more of these nodes throughout the different levels. Um, but because of uh, earlier said interdimensional physics, uh, this allows monsters to appear that you must deal with to solve puzzles and progress through areas due to the unstable nature of everything. But once you complete certain portions of the level, it de it'll, it'll restabilize other areas, allowing you to further progress. Uh, the point of this all is that you're trying to liberate a secret futuristic laboratory from the monsters that have escaped through the rip in the dimensional fabric of space and time. The game itself kind of moves at a kind of a slow clip as you progress through the lab, more or less because the, the maps themselves aren't very big. So I guess they just adjust the movement so you're not kind of like rocketing through it real fast. Uh, you spend a lot of time kind of strafing and, and hiding behind walls and objects to dodge enemy fire as you progress on, because you'll, you'll face enemies that kind of have this kind of wildfire that you can't predict where the bullets are going to go, or you're facing turrets that will lock onto your position in um, kind of an eight-way movement, so it's not like full 360 degrees. Um, there's about eight maps between the two areas in the facility. So think of it as like there's an A map and a B map, and you have four sections on each map, and you're kind of going through each of the areas within the two maps as you're working back and forth trying to like restabilize the facility as you access the computer core to get more context on what's going on, all the while facing enemy fire, facing bosses along the way, and um you know among other things um if if you've played uh like I, like i mentioned earlier if you've played contra 3 you can kind of get an idea it also plays really similarly to super smash tv if any of you have played that oh okay yeah yeah I've yeah played a little bit of that. so yeah yeah so this is somewhat of a tough game you have one health bar you have a lot of life on that health bar but you only have one health bar and i think it's about like 32 hits and, you know, you get a game over. But you have three continues that you can use once you, um, you know, empty your health bar. But some of the computer cores that you access will refill your health in full. So those are few and far between. So you kind of have to uh, play smartly. Don't don't get hit. Don't die. So 
But now, hey, now that I know that I don't have a Switch, so I didn't know it was on the Switch, but it's on the Switch. You should go check this game out. It's actually a very colorful, it's a great-looking game. It's got great music. I love the fact that they convey the story through kind of um, found footage throughout the facility as you're progressing through. Yeah, I'm watching a video on this right now, and I'm seeing what you're talking about. It's got this cool thing where he finds some found footage of a boss that it foreshadows the boss that you're going to fight later. And it shows them the boss like killing other people. And there's like this cool gun where it, you can bounce it off the wall. So it's like it's close, close, uh, close contact fighting. So you can take advantage of the wall space and kind of bounce your laser all around it. You get it. Yeah. People. Yeah. That's, that's the great thing is as you, as you progress through, you'll find more and more weaponry. Like the, that bounce shot is one of the first things that you get within the first couple of, uh, maps on the, on the, uh, in the game. What's nice too, is you, there's a whole map system to it too. So those, those cores that you're also accessing will give you maps for the area and, you know, show your position. So you can pause the game, pulls the map up and you can see where you're at and you can kind of surmise on where you've been, where you need to go, and that kind of stuff. It's a very simple map system, though. So don't expect anything too flashy with it. But yeah, I, I, was gonna say, I played Contra, go, but uh, never go, played much of those. Yeah, this was one of those games. Like for for me personally, I didn't I didn't find this game when I was a kid. I found this game mm-hmm. about five or six years ago. I went to a used game store around here, and I I have the Japanese copy of this game, so I don't even have okay. it. I don't even have the American release of it. I It was just mm-hmm. kind of hanging on the wall for five bucks. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but it looks cool. <laughs> the, the, the sticker looks cool. So I took it home and I started to play it. And I, I, I fell in love with it. It's it's a fantastic game. I'll, I'll boot it up every now and then and, and play through it. So what was it called in, in Japanese? So in, in, uh, in Japan, they call it Ikari no Yosai. Yeah, whoever named it in America was probably trying to art, you know, kind of trying to angling for rays or something. I guess. Well, when Operation I Operation Logic Bomb, the ultimate search and destroy. Bomb, bomb. See, when I hear like the Operation Logic Bomb, it makes me think of like it's a puzzle game or something like that. You know. You would think, right? You would think, because I I have only known it by its Japanese name because of how it's written on the cartridge. I think it's written in katakana. It might. Nope, that's written in full kanji. Oh no, it's got the Furigana on it though, so that's how I originally read it, and I was just like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, first I thought you were talking about like Akari Warriors or something like that. No, well, well because it's Akari, which is, uh, I think, fortress in Japanese. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Now that makes sense. Fortress, fortress it's it's fortress or fury. So you got me. <laughs> but <laughs> so. Uh... Oh yeah, it's the language anger, barrier so is not fury. a problem. So it's there is no so all of the menus in in the Japanese version are in English. Uh-huh. Press press oh, start wow. options nice. in game. There is no text except when there's found footage and there will be like letters or something of it like you know video and then it'll be like play time. But there's no real Japanese in this game, so you can play this with n- knowing nothing. And because the menus are in English, it makes it even easier. Yeah. Cool beans. All right, Yangus talking about some cool beans. No, you won't be talking about the cool beans. But <laughs> <Nick Winnie. laughs> he, he's oh oh oh, you got the cool spot game, right? How do you know? Seven up one. <laughs> How do you know? I was going to talk about that. God, you know, I was really hoping that me putting Super Mario World in the notes was going to trick somebody, and I, I guess oh, you saw me. right through it. <laughs> It's really, really that whole Super Mario World thing. It's an anagram for that 7-Up game. <laughs> <laughs> ah, 
just gotta rearrange a few letters, turn a few on their sides, you know? Add some, delete some. Yup, exactly. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got, I've got your number, Yangus. I've got your number. Dang it! <laughs> Sees right through me, man. <laughs> um, yeah. So for my first game, I wanted to talk about, I want to talk about Super Mario World. Uh, this was a game that came with, I believe it was the launch type, one of the launch titles for the Super Nintendo, and was bundled with pretty much every Super Nintendo when you bought it. I, unfortunately, was born like two years after the Super Nintendo came out, so I don't really 100 know that. <laughs> I'm just that, I'm just going it, off of my knowledge of um, did the it come box with, that I, I got. I thought Super Nintendo didn't originally come out with any games. Mine did but, not come with it. Well, I don't remember getting one with mine. It might have been a, a thing later on because um, so I got. I guess I'll go into a bit of story then for Super Mario World and why one of the reasons why I picked it. This was actually the first video game that I ever played, and I played this at my nice. grandparents' house when I was about I was pretty young so i'm just gonna guess i was between the ages of three and four um i was you know we lived in minnesota my parents and i did when i was pretty young so when we came down to visit you know it was just for about a week or so and we went to my grandparents at one point i remember uh going down in their basement i found this you know weird gray box down there go back upstairs i'm like what's this thing downstairs grandpa comes down uh turns it on hands me the controller and the title theme from Super Mario World kicked in. And that's pretty much what set me off for one, becoming a Mario fan, but also getting me interested in video games and has me been playing them for, God, how many years has it been now? Like 23, 24 years of my life. <laughs> but um, I, Super Mario World is one that I do have a lot of nostalgia for. I do hold fondly. This is a game that I was, you know, first game I ever played, so I'm, I was absolutely terrible at it as a little kid. I could only get up, if I was lucky, get to Vanilla Dome 1, um, you know, beating, which is the third world of the game. And if I got to that far, you know, that was that was good for me. <laughs> I never found any of, like, the secret exits, or, you know, I would either have a heck of a time getting through Morton's Castle, which is uh, the end of World 2. So I, I was not good at this one, but it's always been one that's stuck in the back of my mind. And eventually I was able to, you know, get through the game completely on the Super Nintendo, or not Super Nintendo, excuse me, on the Game Boy Advance re-release that they had uh, called Super Mario Advance 2, uh, Super Mario World. And that was a way for me to, you know, re-experience this, this game with some of the new little features that they added in, like being able to freely choose between Mario and Luigi whenever you wanted to. And, um... Uh, really, with Super Mario World, um, you know, besides me wanting to just pick it because I have a lot of nostalgia for it, I also wanted to talk about it because this is a really, this was kind of when Mario continued to get some of its, you know, trademark features to it. Like Super Mario 3 on the NES, that introduced a lot of the stuff like the world map and different items that you could carry with you and things like that. Uh, Super Mario World has a lot of that same thing. Like Dinosaur Island, if you guys have ever played Super Mario World, you know, that game has a huge overworld, and it's all interconnected with itself. It's really cool. Um, and unlike Super Mario 3, where, you know, had a bunch of power-ups, Super Mario World only has a few. You have, you know, your standard mushroom that uh, makes you bigger, lets you take an extra hit. You get the Fire Flower, which lets you throw fireballs. Uh, there's the brand-new Super Feather, which turns you into Cape Mario and allows you to fly around by building up enough speed. And it's a real game breaker and lets you just totally tear through levels really fast if you're good at using it. <laughs> and finally, uh, the other the big other big power up slash new sidekick from Mario that this game introduced was Yoshi. Yoshi. Um, <laughs> hey, we have a special guest. Who knew? <laughs> 
But um, this is the first game that introduced Yoshi uh, because the little story for this game was that after uh, the events of Super Mario Brothers 3, uh, Luigi, Peach, and Mario decided they're going to go on a little vacation. So they end up going down to this tropical island called Dinosaur Island, uh, which is a little subset of islands, really. But they go down there. Mario and Luigi go off to explore. They come back. Surprise, surprise, Princess Peach is gone. And they believe that she was kidnapped by Bowser. And they learn from Yoshi, who they can rescue in one of the stages, that Yo- that Bowser and his Kooplings also kidnap some of Yoshi's friends and their eggs. So, you know, pretty simple plot. You know, just you got to save Yoshi's friends. You got to save Princess Peach. You know, defeat Bowser and his minions. You know, save Dinosaur Island. Pretty simple stuff. But what I really like with this game is that there has a lot of uh, secret exits to find. Have, have any of you guys played Super Mario World before? I get oh to yeah. You? I I think I've heard of this game before, but <laughs> well, you know, it is pretty obscure. It, it, it's it's no. from this little company called Nintendo. <laughs> they're the they're the card guys, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They used to make a bunch of cards and. I don't know what happened. I, don't, I haven't seen cards from them in a long time. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I've, I've done full 96 exit clears on this game since I was a kid. So <laughs> I played, I've done my dues with this game. Okay. Uh, and me, yeah. I maybe have played it for 10 minutes. <laughs> oh. Oh. Get out of here. So you can you played Super Mario World for 10 minutes, but I can't get you to play Super Mario 64 for 10 minutes. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I see how it is. <laughs> No, this is a true classic. It's it's fun as hell. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah, as Brewerian said, too, this game has a lot of exits you can find. There's 96 different exits in this game. And this game also introduced some um, a new cool little feature for Mario games, which was uh, secret worlds you can unlock. So in different points of Dinosaur Island, uh, depending on what stages you beat, uh, you can find special exits. Usually they're marked with a particular goalpost or they'll have like a bright pink uh, sign next to them like one of the ghost house for example if you find the special exit you'll notice that the exit sign is a different color so it's letting you know hey this is a special exit congratulations you found it and from some of these special exits you find you end up going to what's called the star road which is pretty much like a fast travel uh, option for the game you just have to get through the different worlds you get to find different colored yoshis as well in the star world and if you're really good you can find a secret exit on the last star world area which leads you to secret world which has one of my least favorite stages in a mario game and it's the seventh one it's called tubular and i hate it so much (laughs) totally tubular oh my god that stage just <laughs> I, it destroys me every time. I just cannot deal with it. I really can't. That one in the one where I forget what it's called. It's the second one of the special world where it's you have to use the pea balloons to fly across the bottomless gaps that pretty much make up the entire stage. Yeah, you got the charge and chuck football guys throwing you know different footballs and baseballs and all sorts of stuff at you. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not terrible. It's not terrible. It's tubular. Oh, yeah. Tubular. <laughs> that word will haunt me till my dying days. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, Super Mario World 2 actually had an, uh, something that uh, not many other Mario games have done. Um, in the original Super Nintendo release, you can act, if you beat the Secret World, and, you know, you beat all eight stages, you get to the last Star Road space, it'll take you back to Yoshi's Island, which is where you start at, but it completely changes the color scheme of the game. So like all of the world map will have more fall and autumn time colors and enemies and stages will actually have different appearances too. Like the Koopas will no longer have just like a regular Koopa shell. 
they'll have these little funny uh, Mario face masks on, and they'll still act like a shell, but they're just basically walking around with these big bobblehead-looking things on their heads instead of just the regular shells. <laughs> and you have stuff like the bullet bills that end up changing into little Pidgeys from Super Mario Brothers 2 or Super Mario Brothers USA, depending on what title you call it by. And there's, there's a few other ones, too, I think. I think if I remember right, one of the other ones is Piranha Plant turns into a jack-o'-lantern. Uh, some of the fish change as well. There's, there's a few other little changes here and there. So it's kind of like a fun little reward if you can beat all of these stages. Uh, meanwhile, in like the re-release in the Game Boy Advance, you have to beat all 96 exits, which I, it's probably just from me playing this game as much as I have that I don't think all the exits are very hard to find, even some of the harder ones. But some of the stages, though, like especially the Star World stages and the Secret stages, you know, they're optional for a reason, and they're they they can get pretty nasty. Oh yeah. Have any of you like so, Bruin? You've done the 96 exit thing before. Have you guys? Have you done that too, Pendy? I'm guessing Platy, you probably haven't done that, have you? Good guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done it. I've done all those star stages. Those are, they can be quite difficult. I do love uh, the cape game. It's, it's very dynamic, the different things you can do when you're flying around and dive bombing and all sorts of fun stuff with that. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we've never seen as good as a power-up as the cape since. I will, mm-hmm. I will personally argue. Yeah. No, I, I would totally agree with you on that one. They, because... they have had some other flying power-ups come up over the years, but yeah, it's that never cape as good as is the so... Cape. That cape is so good. <laughs> so there was there was one specific exit that I know I know this was probably one of the last ones that I found, and it was because I, as a kid, I must have gone back to that stage a billion times trying to find the exit. And I think it I think the stage in the name was Butter Bridge because it was after the second area inside the cave, and you go you go through the top you go across and it's uh, it's the level on the bridge before you enter the cat the forest of illusion uh-huh. and that was the exit that requires you to have a cape so that you can fly under the exit to get yep. to the secret exit at the end that one took me forever as a kid i think i remember that actually it, yeah i know <laughs> That's that secret exit too. When you take it, it also leads you to another hard stage where you have to deal with torpedo Teds that constantly come after you underwater. Yeah, and those things are a bastard. I hate those things. They are a pain. <laughs> that's for sure. That that is probably one of my other least favorite stages in the game, along with that tubular one from before. So it. I, it's really funny then you talking about that because it's like congratulations, you got the secret exit. Here's a really hard stage to play through. Enjoy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> The but, uh, <laughs> final Bowser fight in this game is really fun, too. I really liked it. Yeah, it is a fun fight. I remember it kind of threw contraption me off. flying around. Yeah, I remember. I rem- har- oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I was going to say, I remember having a real fun time with it because one of one of the neighbors, uh, he was the one with the Super Nintendo in the neighborhood. So we would all go over to his house to play it. And he had just recently gotten gotten an action replay for his Super Nintendo so we put in a code to permanently have Starman power for the entire game, Whoa. which isn't which is not an issue until you get to the Bowser fight where you have to throw those enemies up into Bowser. Oh, because yeah. we're perma- but because we're permanently in Starman mode, you just kill them. So the <laughs> the the fight is undoable. <laughs> I I could just see it too, where the programmers like would make some sort of error. Like, if you did have a Starman at that, all you have to do is just touch Bowser, he dies, and then the game, like, softlocks itself. <laughs> that would be funny. It's like, if you could jump high enough to actually touch him, it would work, but since you can't... <laughs> uh, yeah, there's... As, as you guys listening can tell, we all have a lot of... Uh, 
we all have a lot of our own memories uh, surrounding Super Mario World. I just I just saw Chocolate Island in a video I'm watching. I just remember I totally forgot about Chocolate Island. I remember that shows up in Mario Kart too, which is one of the fun boards to go through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this definitely is a game that a lot of people hold, you know, in high regard, even still to this day. And you know, despite um, you know me having this nostalgia for the game, it's one that like even when I go back and revisit it or like do a replay every every few years or so, you know, it still feels really fresh and it still feels you know very well made you know some older games sometimes don't hold up i think as time goes on but i feel like super mario world you know for this being one of the launch titles for the super nintendo that it still really stood the test of time and it's still you know such a big influence especially like in ron hacking there are tons of ron hacks for super mario world this game is such a big influence on people no, no i agree yeah it's um like it, it definitely continued to solidify mario's popularity with this game for sure Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was the art style for this game in particular. Like, I know sometimes with Mario stuff, they use 3D looks and they'll use uh, 2D stuff. But if you ever pay attention to it, like the art style that they started using, like for Super Mario uh, 3 and Super Mario World, like that's so still sort of the art style that they've gone with for characters nowadays. You know, just a little bit different tweaking with like character design, just a teeny bit. You know, Mario's not quite as short as he was in like the older stuff but you know this game does have a lot of influence on a lot of different aspects both for nintendo and you know uh, for fans and outside of it and for other platformers too so you know if you've never played a mario game before or you know you're just looking to you know kind of kind of start scratching away at the surface of the super nintendo's library you know what you, super mario world perfect place to start tons of ways to check it out so give it a go and you know if you can save the princess at the end hey congratulations you just played through a great launch title for the super nintendo is this on the uh switch or on the mini snes <laughs> yep i don't know <laughs> yep i don't know man <laughs> <laughs> well you know they had to choose between this and that uh seven up spot game so oh, you know yeah. i i kind of surprised they didn't deal with the seven up one you know license issues be damned but yeah if you have the Super Nintendo Mini or, you know, Switch Online to use the, uh, the the Super Nintendo app, you can play that as well. Or if you have a Wii U, cough, eel, cough, <laughs> you can play it on there, too. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, I had a bit of a cough there. Sorry, guys. Get me a drink of water. Right. I'll fix that. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Go, go save your... Uh... Go, go save your voice because you're going to need it to cheer on the games that uh, I'm going to talk about next because uh, I, I am going to I am going to go through kind of a couple games here. Um, I was just going to talk about one, but I was like, oh, I don't have much to say about these. And starting with uh, I was going to say talk about graphics and <laughs> one that I, I went back and I kind of like gave all these games a few minutes in the past couple days. Um First one I want to talk about is it was called NCAA Basketball and it came out in 92 um and it used that like mode 7 graphics um system what the one that like Star Fox used or something Yes that's exactly it, it the one that like gives you that spinning motion it gives that um what is it? It's, it I was reading a description online it's a simple texture mapping graphics mode uh, on the Super Are you Nintendo talking about allows... Mode 7? Yeah, Mode yeah, 7. It's mode 7. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it allows the background to be rotated and scaled. Um, because you were playing... It was a 5-on-5 five -five basketball game. I mean, it was nothing, like, really awesome. But, like, the screen kind of turned. You, you could be behind the player. It wasn't always just um, left and right. And, gosh, I, I forgot how bad the graphics were. You're these little pixelized 
guys. And I mean, it, it actually had 44 different teams from different divisions. Um, I think the Big Ten got left out. Guess they didn't sign on to that licensing no. agreement. Yeah. <laughs> no, no Michigan or Michigan State. Okay. Or Ohio State. So, uh, screw, screw those guys. Yeah. Yep. All of it. <laughs> But yeah, it, the cameras spun around. You could play, like, pick a college team, and of course, they're all just generic players. I mean, just like today with college basketball, doesn't or college any sport that doesn't have the players' names on there. But they weren't even like based on people. Um, I always remember I played as the Fro- the Providence Friars just because that was a funny name, and I think there was a guy <laughs> on there that hit the three pointers pretty well, so um, that was fun. But a step up for me came the next year. Uh, I got NBA Jam. And that was great that um, I actually played that for like half an hour today. Uh, It was all two on two basketball and like the graphics change from like NCAA basketball with a little pixelated guy in the screen kind of rotating to just a fixed camera and having NBA players that kind of theoretically looked like the players they were trying to be. I mean, they had um all the player names on there and you could be your favorite team. Usually it had the two best players on there. Um, there was a couple notable exceptions. This came out like right when uh, Shaquille O'Neal was in the league, but him and Michael Jordan were left off because of uh, I think they they like owned their own rights instead of the NBA owning the rights to their image and uh, name. So if you played as Chicago, you were Horace Grant and Scottie Pippen. And the big thing about yeah, this name I was, actually recognized for basketball. There you go. I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was Horace Grant. He recognized Horace Grant. That That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. But um, the biggest thing about this game was the exaggerated dunks. Like you could be doing like half court dunks or just your guy would be helicopter spinning up in the air and just come down and super dunk. And if you made three baskets in a row, your guy would get on fire and you could use your turbo button to run around. And yeah, yeah, the. the I looked at the voice announcer um, and it was somebody who was trying to do their best um, like Marv Al- Marv ugh, Marv Albert is I'm saying that right yeah, yeah you I think so impression yeah, yeah. so they were they so were this trying one to... did so, sorry this one did have the voice acting then you said like the original Super Nintendo one yeah yeah I mean but all it was was like he's on fire nice shot oh steal you know I mean not much but it's funny because NCAA basketball was so low graphics and it I mean, I guess using that mode seven took up a lot of memory. You saw the basketball court and the players and the ball and everything else was just a blue background. There was no like arena or anything. Whereas NBA Jam having like a fixed camera, they had, I mean, it was all just one background image, but you weren't playing in the middle of open sky. You're playing on, uh, you could see the court and everything. And I, gosh, I tried to look up a lot of the different things and I was getting confused whether it was this one or like it's sequel, but there was a, I remember there, there being a lot of different cheat codes and you could unlock different people. I was reading one of them. You could like unlock Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton <laughs> and have a team with those two. And yeah, I remember um, playing as uh, the, the Clintons a lot in that game. <laughs> There was, yeah, there there was a whole bunch of just funny ones. And I think you could blow the heads up really big and play with, like, big bobblehead type players and stuff. Oh, I remember that was a popular thing to do with cheat codes. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, yeah. a lot of games. Big heads. <laughs> big heads. Yeah. Yep. It's so you could see who you were playing as. <laughs> no, it's it, no, it's so it could lead up to eventually with um, GoldenEye 007. So you could have Donkey Kong mode where you got big head and big hands. <laughs> <laughs> See Horace Grant in all his glory. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, what, what was good for me, moving on from basketball, what I really spent the most time sports-wise on the Super Nintendo was the Madden football games. And the Super Nintendo is when these games kind of evolved to, gosh, kind of Madden 96 was pretty much almost what you have today. Um, I mean... Pandy, you and I, just a couple months ago, we were playing Tecmo Super Bowl together on a year-old NES. And I remember playing Tecmo Bowl before that. But uh, once we moved to the SNES, Madden was the game that really kind of took it over. Um, Madden 92 was the first one. It started that, like, behind the quarterback's back, you were looking down the field um, stuff, whereas Tecmo Bowl and Tecmo Super Bowl, it was all left and right. Your team's going back and forth. Um, Madden, the camera was right behind the quarterback. Back. That's how I remember that, playing um, Atari football. Oh, <laughs> well, then it didn't start it, but it, I mean, this is where Madden kind of began. It, no, it no, was no, on no. Uh, the, the whole, the whole left, the whole left. Oh, right the whole left and back. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I used to have I mean, uh, Atari, Atari football on the 7800, and I played a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I remember getting all these Madden games as they came out and like trading in the old ones every year. And I remember them getting better and looking it up today. I kind of figured out why. Um, Madden 92, they didn't have any licenses at the time. Um, neither did 93. 93, it would have, um, you, you could pick Chicago, and Chicago team would be like black and white. Or you could pick uh, Tampa, and they'd kind of be kind of orange and white, and that was about it. Uh, 94 is where they actually got the official NFL license and they suddenly had the team names, uh, but they didn't have the NFL PA blessing yet. So it was all just numbers. You know, you were QB7 and QB12 and all that. Um, guess they were probably still going to Tecmo at that time. I don't know. Was there a Tecmo game for the Super Nintendo, Pendy? Do you yes, remember? there was. I was still I was still into Tecmo Bowl at the time. Um, so I think they, and I'm pretty sure they had the license back then. They must have, maybe they had an exclusive deal for a while there. Which, yeah, I what mean, EA would eventually take for themselves. Exactly. Yeah, it was Madden 95 when they finally got the player names. Um, and I remember that. I remember 96. 96 was the one I had that I like took to college and just kept playing forever with. Um, but it, I mean, all these, all the stuff that you can do in Madden these days was in these games. Uh, I think they even had like instant replays in 96 or something. That might have been something that first came out. You'd see the measurements. Um, uh, you'd have penalties. You could play through a whole season. They had, actually, even going back to, like, 92 and 93, they would have classic teams. Um, like, they had the team, like, Oakland, 1976. And, I mean, again, they didn't have names back then. And even in the future games, they didn't have, even when they had the NFLPA, a lot of the old classic teams um, or the or, or the all-star teams, they could call them sometimes, or the all-Madden teams, it didn't have a lot of their names because those are players that, like, retired 20 years ago. So they didn't have the rights to put those names in. But, I mean, it, the, these games were the ones I really spent the most time on my Super Nintendo with, um, non-RPG-wise, or actually altogether, because I didn't play a lot of RPGs on my Super Nintendo back when I had it. It was pretty, pretty much... Uh, the the sports games that that's what i had it those those years i was really into uh collecting basketball cards when Shaq got drafted by the magic and my uncle started us getting into almost the whole family getting into that and uh the bucks still sucked at that point but i was a big fan back there so football football (laughs) was the big thing so uh sorry i I talked about three games but i I really don't have there wasn't a lot of detail about these games so they were they were all just good and 
I enjoyed them all for what they were, you know, NCAA having the five on five, being able to go through a whole tournament. NBA Jam was just hilarious. I mean, it was so exaggerated. Um, and then Madden, you know, going through high school, basically 92 through 96, got the evolution of uh, seeing EA take over at whole NFL license and everything. Yeah, did uh, did any of the Madden games on Super Nintendo, did they introduce like weather or anything like that? Hmm. I think so. I, I want to say there was snow. <laughs> oh, okay, I cool. remember. Yeah. I kind of remember the little sprites sliding all over the place. Yeah, Tech Mobile but, for Super Nintendo int- introduced that into their franchise, and that was I had a lot of fun with that with the snow and the elements and the rain. And they do like a little. You could do one of the new things you could do is you could do a little goal line leap, and they'd have a little animation for it if you tried to do that. That was fun. But that was like probably the last uh, last good games. Uh, for Tecmo Bowl was the Super Nintendo Sega Genesis era because they had one for the PlayStation 1, but it was awful. And by that time, Madden was king at that point. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, speaking of king, we'll go back to uh, King Pendy. And something that when I was looking up uh, these games and getting some music for, I got to say, Pendy, I don't know if you know this, but the next game you're going to talk about is the highest rated game ever, ever, according to the box art and computer <laughs> game review. And it, 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 that, uh, I don't know if that's an exaggeration, but it doesn't surprise me. That's funny. So <laughs> the, the game that I'm going to be talking about next is called, at least in North America, it's called Out of This World. I'm super excited about this one. Uh, this game is known for being one of the most cinematic games of all time for its era, which makes sense because it literally belongs to a, a subgenre called cinematic platformers. It was released for the Super Nintendo and many other systems back in 1991. It was uh, very multi-platform. It was made by a French company. Uh, I can't, the name escapes me right right now, like Delphine or something like, like that. I'll have to look that up later. But anyways, in uh, North America, it's known as Out of This World, while everywhere else it got released, it was called Another World. Apparently, from what I looked up, they were afraid that people might get it confused with a daytime soap opera called Another World that was out of the time. <laughs> I don't know why they thought that would be a problem. Like how a science fiction video game might get confused with a daytime soap opera. Uh, that's beyond me. But that's that's what the internet can't have felt. the fans can't have the fans crossing over between those two. Can't have the fa- can't have it. Yeah, I don't know. And the funny thing is, there was a sitcom with the same name uh, out of this world that was running at the same time. So I don't know what the deal is. So that's whatever. But yeah, North America is called Out of This World. Uh, in the game, you play as a modern day scientist on Earth that is somehow zapped to an alien world in an experiment gone wrong. Kind of sounds familiar from one of the other games. But you know, that that happens a lot, (laughs) video game stuff. But uh, you get zapped to this alien world where you must fight for your survival. Uh, It's a platformer with some puzzle elements to it. Kind of think uh, Mario, old school Mario meets old school Prince of Persia. Though I'd say the platforming in it isn't as as involved as it is in Mario and the puzzles aren't as crazy as some of the later levels in Prince of Persia. I think it's kind of like a very nice mixture of both elements. I think it, they do it just right. Uh, but despite that, you will die a lot. <laughs> all the time. In fact, half the fun is seeing the many different ways that you come to your demise. <laughs> you know, There's you many, know many different ways you can die. What's that? You know, This reminds me of Dragon's Lair, because I've played this game, and it feels kind of like that. Oh, I, I, can, I can see that. Definitely. Yeah. You're definitely giving me giving me vibes of Abe's Odyssey. If you guys have ever played any of the Odd World games, yeah, I remember <laughs> that one as well. <laughs> uh, 
So this game has incredibly fun action scenes that you take part of. Uh, the climax of the game is very exciting with an ending that's actually surprisingly ambiguous. Does your character survive? It's actually kind of unclear. Well, until they did the sequel, of course. But <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, it, it's you don't know. Uh, but fun story about this one. So this game is unfortunately, or fortunately, how I learned about computer viruses. <laughs> Yay! Uh, it was back in 1998. I was at the Uni University of New Hampshire. Um, I was in the dormitories that they had. I had a roommate with a computer, uh, and we had, at the t time, uh, the college was hooked up with a T1 line, which was, like, super fast at the time for 1998. And I had never had a – well, I had a computer growing up. I never had internet growing up. So I, you know – been on it a little bit, but never got to really experience it because my family never had internet. And so I was like on his computer all the time. I like, that's when I discovered emulators and ROMs. So I had like Super Nintendo emulators, Nintendo emulators. I was downloading all these ROMs. It's how I got back into Dragon Quest and all those translation patches and stuff like that. But so I was looking through all this stuff and I was like, oh, out of this world. I'd played it before when I actually had a Super Nintendo. And so I was like, I'll download that. Well, lo and behold, yeah, that, that was a virus. That wasn't, uh, Oh, no. Or it was the ROM, but it had a virus attached to it. I think that's uh -oh. what it was. So, yeah, my roommate was kind of pissed at me <clears throat> for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> but we got some computer geeks to help us out. Uh, got his computer fixed. Nothing was damaged too much, thankfully. And my roommate forgave me. I'm actually still friends to him, friends with him to this day. So, you know, fun story about that. But anyways, I, I can't recommend this game enough. It's somewhat short, but it's very satisfying. Uh, if you really like it, uh, once you play it, there is a sequel that they made for the Sega CD. It's called Heart of the Alien, uh, made by the same company. And uh, there's also the same company did a similar type of game, uh, another cinematic platformer called Flashback that's a lot of fun as well. Uh, when I was looking up uh, this whole kind of subgenre, uh, apparently they consider Prince of Persia to be like one of the, the first cinematic uh, platformer games that kind of spawned all this craziness that they did with these types of games. Uh, currently, uh, if you want to play this game, they have released this game for like almost every uh, system imaginable throughout its lifespan. Uh, right now, you can get it for the PlayStation 4, get it for the Switch, the X-Bone, and I'm sure Platty will be happy to hear this. You can get this for the Vita as well. <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually on the 3DS as well. There you go. Even the 3DS. Yeah, they, they so, release although, this on anything and everything. Although, uh, it's called, I think it's called Another World on the 3DS. Oh, okay. Original. Yeah, I think. Cool. I, I yeah, think with this was, remake they did, they re, they changed it back to that another yeah, world title. Yeah, because on the 3DS, because I've seen it on the 3DS and I've thought about buying it on the 3DS, but on on that on that handheld system, it's called Another World 15th Anniversary Edition. Nice. That's awesome. Hmm. Uh, I just want to I just want to add that you know Super Nintendo in general was you know a great system. I loved loved having it growing up. I'd like to give a quick honorable mention just to Street Fighter Two. Uh, something that I loved playing in the arcades, but it was great to be able to play that at home. Uh, does anyone still have their Super Nintendo? I, I ended up selling mine to get an N64 back in the day. I still I have do, mine. I, I was playing one. my games earlier. Awesome. I have one. It, it, so when I mentioned my, I, I played it at my grandparents, I actually got their Super Nintendo from them when they were moving out of uh, their old house. They knew that I liked it, and they were like, oh, well, you know, you like video games, so do you want to take that thing we have downstairs? It's like, well, hell yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> I keep mine around because I keep everything, and also I can play my Game Boys games on my TV, so. 
Yeah, I, I found oh, one of those yeah, Game Boy players. On, I found one of those Game Boy players on a school trip once. <laughs> I remember buying that, and all my friends were like, "Why are you buying that old thing?" It's like because I got a Super Nintendo. I want to try this out with the course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the game was made by Delphine Software, which is a company out of France. There's two famous game designers that made like another an, another world and Flashback. So doesn't doesn't that make the ending just that make that much more sense because it's a French company? <laughs> yeah. Yes, definitely. It's, it's it, very it, it's very it, ambiguous, like yeah. the French. Sweet, <laughs> just sweet. I was gonna say earlier you uh, mentioned that it came out on Vita. I was gonna say spoiler. I've got all these on my Vita. Nice. <laughs> Where was I playing NBA Jam today? On my damn Vita, that's where I was. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, maybe one that I'd have to look. I don't know if this one's in my uh, Vita catalog here, but uh, Brurian, uh, another one here that I have not heard of before. Your uh, other Super Nintendo non-RPG. Yeah, so this this was a game that I only came across a few years ago. I went out to uh, the Portland Retro Game Expo back in late 2018, and um, I found this, I actually found this game in, in some vendors like dollar bin. So I only paid a couple of bucks for it. I have the Japanese version again because, you know, American Super Nintendo games are always way more expensive than their counterparts for, you mm-hmm. know, strange reasons. But um, this game is called Hyperzone. Now, if you've never heard of Hyperzone, you may have heard of who developed it. And it was HAL Laboratory of Kirby fame that developed this game. Oh. It, uh, it came out in August of 1991 in Japan, and then it came out a month later in North America. So um, this very colorful game plays like a cross between a racing game and a shooter game. It uses the Super Nintendo's Mode 7 capabilities uh, mm-hmm. to kind of render everything. So if you're familiar with like how F-Zero or Star Fox plays, you can pretty much imagine how this one plays as well. So, an an excerpt from the game manual says that this game is set in the year 2089, where Earth has become unstable to support life due to humankind's ignorance. The Earth Council (laughs) has turned their attention to the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, a place virtually untouched by civilization. But a hostile race of cybernetic beings has taken up residence there, and if humankind is to survive, the infestation must be eradicated. So the object, the object of this game is you navigate your way through each of the eight areas, shooting down enemies and earning points along the way. Because of the mode of seven capabilities of the game, you look like you're moving through a 3D space as you're moving forward because you've got kind of a, a back picture on your ship. You know, think Star Fox in this case, uh, in each area until you reach your boss. Uh, Once you reach a certain number of points, you earn an extra life, and your ship gets upgraded at the end of the current stage. This way, you can receive up to six upgrades uh, by score alone. Uh, As you progress through the stage, you have a track above and below you. So it's really weird. So if you were thinking like F-Zero, you're flying along on your track, making your turns and everything. In this one, you've you've got a plane below you and a plane above you as you're flying your, you know, spaceship. And you have to uh, 
keep yourself within the confines of the track so that you don't take damage. You've got a health bar, and if you kind of veer out of where this kind of imposed road is, you take damage. I, I assume it relates to the name of hyperzone, you know, hyper travel and stuff like that, although it's never mm-hmm. really, really made clear. Um, and you do this all the while while shooting enemies and, and, and stu- stuff along the way. Now, the early stages of this game have like a very wide, wide track, so it's very hard to kind of get yourself off of it. Um, but as you progress, the tracks get more and more segmented, so you have to pay attention to your ship's placement on the screen while dealing with enemies and obstacles. Movement in this game is in all eight directions, so, you know, up, down, left, right, up, left, up, right, down, left, down, right. And you can also slow your ship down to kind of slow down enemies that are appearing on the screen as you're moving forward. But the more that you keep yourself moving at a slow clip, you start taking damage. So you kind of don't want to do that. Uh, The game kind of forces you to play at a certain speed, so to speak. Um, As well as the enemies on the field that are firing at you and you're having to dodge their shots, there are also obstacles that you have to dodge while Again, paying attention to your ship's placement and dodging enemy fire. Um, there are also areas on the track that will heal damage that you have taken, you know, just like a ship in F-Zero if you get to the start of each lap. What's really interesting about this game, though, is that it has stereoscopic 3D support, meaning that, you know, like like th- the 3DS is stereoscopic uh 3D to where it kind of splits the image into two ways, and if you hold it at a certain distance, you get a 3D effect, although, you know, that kind of technology was few and far between back, you know, in the early 90s. So the only way to kind of make use of the stereoscopic 3D mode is if you have a pair of LCD shutter frames. And if you've never heard of those, it's kind of like a special pair of glasses that you wear, and um, each lens over each eye has a shutter, and it kind of moves back and forth constantly, and it creates kind of a fake 3D effect. I've never personally experienced the stereoscopic for it. You talking about that just makes me think, like, I know it's not the same thing, but it makes me think of those stupid ladder shades that people wear. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. But, um, like, the only way to get the stereoscopic mode is you have to put a button code in on the title screen of the game. And um, so it's kind of a cheat to even access it, so you wouldn't know it's there unless you knew what to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it, well, the, the cool thing about this game, is, well, cool thing I say, is that between the two versions, they, for no real reason, made changes. So the, the Japanese version is a little bit different from the North American version. In the fact that the levels 1 and 3 underwent a graphics swap between the two versions. The level layout and the enemy positioning, aside from the boss encounters, are still the same, but the graphics set and the background music are different. It's kind of... I tried to look into this, but it's unknown why this was done, because levels 1 and 3 have bosses that don't fit into their respective color schemes, you know, in the American version of this game. So they kind of stand out differently, because the bosses are designed for each zone, specifically so it's kind of a a glaring thing that they stand out more for uh for these um so the game has about eight areas it's got seven seven different tracks that you do and then the final area um they all have their own names but uh the point i want to make with them having names is because this is hal laboratory they've got to make references to this game somewhere else and they have if you've heard of a little game called kirby's dreamland 3 for the super nintendo 
What? They actually, they actually reference this game several times in that game via area names. So, for example, Grassland, in, which is level one in Kirby's Dreamland 3, is the name of the fourth area for Hyperzone. And then again, for the second level of Kirby's Dreamland, it's named Ripple Field, which is the fifth area of Hyperzone. And the coolest thing to me was the final level of uh, Kirby's Dreamland 3 is named Hyperzone for both the game name and the final area of the game. So that's a cool little... Uh, Bet you didn't know that fact about Kirby's Dreamland. Nice. I did not. But um, yeah, it's it's this really cool racer shooter. Like I said earlier, I kind of came across it uh, a couple of years ago. I like playing it a lot. It's a lot of fun. It's a hard game. It's it's not easy by any means because of uh, just how it's set up. It's kind of a front-facing racing shooter game. So um, I've cleared it a few times, and it's... Uh, <laughs> It's 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 tough to get through it every time, even even though I've done it before. Um, I assume that Platy has said he has never even heard of it. Neither of you have ever played it either, let alone known it was a HAL Laboratories developed title. I I'd, I'd never heard of this game. I, I started watching a, a little video clip of this, and I'm in Area One. I, I, I feel like I'm going to have a seizure. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's. <laughs> It's got, it is, it's got it this is. ever-changing rainbow palette on the top yeah. and the bottom of all these different colored squares, <laughs> and they're just constantly changing the whole time. And you've got the guy going and the enemies, and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> there's there's a lot going on on the screen. It is it is a um, – um, I don't know how to best describe it, but it is like a color orgasm. An epileptic orgasm. nightmare? Yeah. <laughs> an epileptic – no. That that it is an epileptic nightmare for sure. This this game is seizure inducing if you have any kind of thing like that. And this got an American release. Like I mentioned earlier, the only thing they did was some graphical swaps for mm-hmm. a couple of levels. But um, hmm. it's I can't imagine that this game is any kind of expensive. Maybe among collectors who you know collect HAL Laboratory stuff. But I'm sure you could find this game for super cheap if you really wanted to give it a try. Because outside of its initial release, I don't think it's ever been re-released anywhere else. Well, you know, I see it on eBay for like nine bucks. Yeah. <laughs> see, there you go. You, you, you could make an offer and uh, offer on it, though. Maybe get it a little bit. Oh, cheaper. yeah. Yeah. I, I'm looking <laughs> on here. The, the nine dollars to ninety nine dollars. So yeah, somebody's got it listed at ninety nine. But yeah, there's a bunch at like four ninety nine plus four dollars shipping. Yeah. Ten bucks free shipping. So, yeah, this is not a uh, difficult one to acquire. It is not. And I I would really suggest it for just, you know, something to throw in and play. It's it's easy to pick up. It's easy to play. It's hard. It's hard to master kind of thing. Yeah, Angus, is this on our Switch? No, it's not. It, um, amazingly, you would think that Hal would have done something with this game, but this is kind of this. This feels like one of their forgotten titles. But here on Slime Time Side Quest, we have not forgotten. <laughs> no, <laughs> we remember just like Pepperidge Farm. Just like Pepperidge Farm. Yep. You know, I've always said that we're an awful lot like Petra's Farm. No one ever listens to me, though. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, on that note, I guess it's time to listen to you. Uh, Take us back into our past. To play the shitty games that suck ass now. (laughs) (laughs) Little little angry video game nerd reference for you there. (laughs) But, um... 
So for my second game, I was having a heck of a time thinking of something to talk about. I was originally going to talk about SimCity, but then looking over the, the list tonight, I didn't recognize both of Brewerian's things. I didn't recognize one of Pat, uh, one of Pendy's things, and I have not played any of the sports games that Platty put. So I decided for my other game, I was going to pick one of the other heavy hitters from the Super Nintendo era, and ah. that was The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. I was because... going to say Brett Hole Hockey 95, but <laughs> that's just me. Man, no, I sorry. I put that in my that... earlier one. Yeah. That, that was going to be another <laughs> choice, but I figured I should save that one for Matt in case we do this again. Mm. <laughs> um, thank you thank you yes you're welcome so um, <laughs> with uh, a link to the past this was the third zelda game that came out and sort of like with dragon quest uh, how dragon quest 3 was really like one of the big influences on how the series progressed as a whole um, the legend of zelda link to the past is also one of the big games where you know this was really what started shaping you know what you would expect from a zelda title so this is where we started to learn a bit more about the history of Hyrule and about the characters uh, the main trio like Link, Zelda and Ganondorf who always appear in the different games and in this game we find out that you know there was this great war that struck the land of Hyrule and eventually uh, the seven wise men had to seal away the Triforce which is what everybody was uh, fighting over and sealed it off into its own realm called the Golden Land um, eventually uh, Ganondorf I believe Ganondorf was sealed off at that point too or defeated I don't remember the story entirely but Basically, then, you cut to present-day Hyrule, and Aghanim, uh, this wizard, is starting to kidnap the descendants of these seven sages and is, one by one, uh, killing them off in order to help break the seal so he can claim the Triforce for himself. Uh, Zelda ends up getting kidnapped. She ends up uh, telepathically uh, contacting Link you know, far away in his house. Uh, Link ends up going to save her, and from there on, Link's quest becomes to find the Master Sword, and eventually... Uh, after obtaining the pendants, he gets the sword, he fights Aghanim, he eventually ends up in the Dark World, which is what the Golden Land uh, was transformed into. The Golden Land being where the Triforce was originally sealed off at, but it was transformed because of Ganondorf and his influence and everything. Um, anyway, so this was a follow-up game to... <clears throat> excuse me, let me start that over. So this was the third Zelda game, like I said. And after the mixed reception that Zelda 2 The Avengers of Link had, uh, Nintendo went back to the top-down perspective that the first Legend of Zelda game had. Uh, but, you know, with the Super Nintendo's capabilities, it had, you know, improved graphics. Um, you had improved music, you know, nice visual style to it, a little mix of cartoony and, you know, sort of influenced what sort of enemies and characters. And I think this is really where a lot of, like I said before, a lot of the uh, more uh, common elements of the Zelda series started to pop up in. Is this like the trading. first game you could uh, throw around chickens? Yes. Right. And it was the first game where you could also attack the chickens and they would start attacking you. <laughs> <laughs> I remember doing that. That was fun. <laughs> and that's been a staple ever since. <laughs> um, but uh, let me see. So with uh, Link to the Past... Uh, sort of like Super Mario World from before. This is a game that has still had a lot of influence on people today. There's a lot of games, uh, particularly ones that will use a top-down perspective that you know are, are either paying homage or or referencing Zelda: Link to the Past or you know, some of the other ones. Um, with this game in particular, you'll see things that sort of use a similar art style to it. Like if you guys have ever played The Binding of Isaac, it has that same sort of look to it, just a lot more grotesque and that more Ed McMillan style to it, <laughs> like the gross out uh, humor. Um, uh, let me see. With this game, too. So when you first start playing, you're in, you know, regular old Hyrule and you kind of have a set path to take where you have to go get um, the first pendant there's three pendants you collect in the regular world of Hyrule uh there's the pendant in the eastern palace there is the pendant off in the desert 
and there is a pendant in the Northern Mountains. And those three, you kind of have to collect them in order. It's when you get to the Dark World that the game starts opening up a lot more on what you can do progress-wise. Like, the game does sort of push you to going off to the first dungeon, the number one dungeon, which is the Dark World's version of the Eastern Palace. I say the Dark World version, but it's an entirely different dungeon, entirely different layout, different enemies, all sorts of stuff. Uh, But anyway, you complete that dungeon, and once you get the item from it, the hammer, you can pretty much tackle the dungeons in just about any order you want to. You know, you can go into dungeon number three, you get the item in there if you can find it. You know, then you can leave, go off and do dungeon number five or dungeon number six. It, it it's This is one of those Zelda games where they, they do give you, you know, the option to, you know, just kind of go, you know, one, two, three, four, five, you know, go through the dungeons in sort of the expected order. But at the same time, if you know this game well enough, you can just kind of throw caution to the wind and, you know, if you either whether you sequence break um, accidentally or using glitches or, you know, you just go and get different items from different dungeons and help make earlier dungeons or later dungeons easier. You know, you can pretty much do whatever you want then with that. It's sort of, I guess, a bit of a precursor almost to what Breath of the Wild eventually did, where you had a lot more freedom in how you tackled the different areas of the game, and what you went off to do. This there's not a whole lot of other Zelda games that have done that. Well, like particularly after Wind Waker up to Breath of the Wild, that's when they started like making it a bit more streamlined with what dungeons you had to go to. You can really do kind of do stuff out of order or, you know, try different orders of stuff you wanted to. But um, with this game linked to the past, uh, like I said, this one has still had a big influence today, not, not only on the series, but for a lot of people who've played the Super Nintendo and one of my favorite just little funny things about this game, and someone pointed this one out to me, if you pay attention to Link before you start getting some of the armor upgrades, he has pink hair by default. He doesn't have his his, his yellow hair. He's got pink hair. <laughs> and um, one of the jokes that I've seen about this game is that pink hair Link is actually the strongest Link. Have any of you guys played? Well, of course he's the strongest one. That makes total sense. I like it. <laughs> Have any of you guys uh, played through this game before, completed it, or just kind of tested it out before, one way or another? So this not. is this is unfortunately the uh, the game that uh, where I learned that Zelda is just not the game for me. <laughs> I, yeah. I played a little bit of the first Zelda game on the NES and the second one and this one, and you know I had fun with it for a few minutes, and then I would get bored. It's just not my series. I, I, I you can shun me now for not liking Zelda. It's just just not my thing. Oh, no, Pindy. It's okay. Pindy, Pindy, I'll go stand I'm, in the corner with you. <laughs> I, I'm I am there with you. I just I beat this game in the '90s, and I came to a conclusion that this series is not for me because I've I've also tried every Zelda game since because every single one of my friends who are huge Zelda fans are always like, "You should play this one. You'll like this one." And I play a little bit of it, and I'm like, nope, my opinion has not changed since the 90s with Link to the Past. Yeah, and it's not like it's not that I think that Zelda's a bad series, it's just... No, not, not, not by any means. Cup of tea. Not by... It's, mm-hmm. no, it's, it's, it's a fantastic series. It's just not for me. Yeah. So, I actually owned this. Talk about, like, not having many games. <laughs> I, I probably never owned more than 10 Super Nintendo games total. And I had this one. I loved it. I beat it, and until I beat Hyrule Warriors last year, that was the last game with Link in it that I ever beat. So, uh, <laughs> wow! I, I actually re- this is the game that when I put it in my Super Nintendo, I was like, "Ooh, these graphics are way better than the 
NES. Like, I, it rained at the beginning of the game, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yep, it yep. does. And I, like, that is one of the few moments in, like, gaming that I remember so vividly sitting there and, like, playing that and being like, oh, my God, look, there's raindrops. Oh, my gosh, this is so crystal clear. This is so amazing. Mm -hmm. So I actually, I, I don't have a lot of specific memories of this game. I do remember beating it. Um, took a while, but I, this, I really, really, really like this one. Uh, this and Zelda two are the only two games that I can really say I thoroughly enjoyed up until the, the Hyrule Warriors games, which are, you know, completely different. They're just yeah. another type of game with a Zelda skin to it. Right. So, uh, I, I will uh, no, say I though, I really like this one. And, but like Rurian, I have tried probably most of the or most half somewhere in there. Um, since then and just been like yeah those kind of games aren't for me then again i didn't play super mario world either so platformers these actiony games are not exactly uh i will give mine I'll, I'll give um a link to the past it has great atmosphere don't get me wrong <laughs> it has great atmosphere it's just for me the gameplay just didn't do it for me more or less yeah oh that's fine you know it's i i I was a little surprised that, you know, nobody had picked a Zelda game or has really talked about it much on some of the past episodes like this that we've done. But, you know, you know, that it's not a series for everybody. And, you know, that's totally fine. This is one um, I got my start with the series on the Nintendo 64 with like Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask and stuff like that. So I will say going back and playing like the Super Nintendo game and like the earlier games where they go, you know, just like strictly 2D look. It was a bit different for me since I'm, you know, so used to the Zelda games being 3D. And what you were talking about, Platty, with like sort of your memory of the rain mm -hmm. and stuff like that. One of the big things that I remember. So the first time that I played um, Link to the Past, it was at one of my relatives' house. Uh, it was one of my older cousin's Super. It was on my older cousin's Super Nintendo. He, you know, had left it at his parents' place for college. They had moved to Iowa. They brought the Super Nintendo with them. They had it plugged into one of their back rooms. And they let me play on it if I wanted to. And I remember one of the games they had was Link to the Past. And you know, that, that was my first time ever playing it or knowing that there was, you know, the Super Nintendo entry to the series. Because, you know, I was a stupid kid. All I knew was that it's Nintendo 64. <laughs> but um, I remember playing that and just like slowly making my way through the game whenever I'd go over there. And I remember the big moment that hit me was when you defeated Aghanim and you go to the Dark World for the first time and how there's just like the quiet wind blowing, there's no music, and you just have this cryptic message from Zelda telling you, oh, you have to, or not not Zelda, sorry, um, the Elder, uh, Sarasa, who's telling you, you have to go and find, you know, the Seven Maidens. They're scattered, across, they're scattered all across the Dark World. And then you get that cool Dark World music that starts playing the dun 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 I love that song, and that, that's a song that's pretty much burned into my memory. And like you guys talking about the atmosphere, like that was such a powerful moment just starting off that part of the game when I was able to play it and just be like, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, there's there's a whole other world? What are we, what, what's going on? You know, as a little kid, that was such a shock to see that happen. It was so cool. Another world? Yeah, yeah, right. pretty much. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> if only he had played Dragon Quest three before then. <laughs> I can tell you he right now. would have been that, ready. I can tell you right now that little Yangus would have uh, not probably played Dragon Quest three at that point because it's like, because he was a stupid little kid and was like, ew, you you don't get to play as the monsters in the Dragon Warrior games? Are you like going to use them in the monsters games? That's stupid. I'm going to play the monster once. <laughs> and then you would have not saved. Yes. Yeah. A stupid little Yangus. <laughs> or young Yangus. 
Poor young Yangus. Poor young Yangus. <laughs> young, poor youngus is Yangus. That that was my younger name. Whenever you see that redheaded version of uh, myself and the artwork, that that's called Yangus, not Yangus. <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, su- uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, link to the past. Now I can say the title right. This was one that. You know, I played it, and originally I was, you know, kind of 50-50, because, again, I was used to the 3D Zelda games. But I will say that I have probably replayed this game as much as I've replayed, like, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. And, like, every time I replay Link's Awake, or not Link's Awake, excuse me, Link to the Past, I find myself appreciating and loving the game more and more every time. I think this is actually one of the first games I bought off the Wii Virtual Console as well, back when I was, uh, you know, using the Wii all the time. Which don't take that dirty. <laughs> we all gotta, we all gotta use the Wii sometime. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, playing Zelda on the Wii. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this is one that you know I've revisited. I revisit it almost about every year or so. Just you know, it's a game that now I can play through it pretty quickly if I you know really try. But it it's such a fun game to revisit too, and I think that this is you know like Super Mario World, it really holds up and you know stood the test of time really well. I do see some people who are like, oh, you know, a Link to the Past is so overrated and it's not that great, and blah blah blah. You know, if you love the game and you played the game, you know what? That's totally fine. You know, if you think this is the best Zelda game, that's fine too. You know, everybody has their personal favorites. Me personally, I would definitely say this is one of the best 2D Zelda games. And definitely what helps uh, shape the franchise into what it is today and with, um, you know, how I've played this series kind of jumping back and forth between, you know, newer entries and older entries. It's been cool to see, you know, how much influence uh, Link to the Past had on the series as a whole with like the music and the characters and everything. So, you know, again, with like my Super Mario World comment, if you're new to the Super Nintendo library and you're just trying to check out some of the, you know, the big hit classic games from it, you know what? It's always a good idea to start with uh, Link to the Past as well because, you know, it's a great entry in the Zelda series. Very nice looking game, very easy to play. It can be difficult when you get to the Dark World, so, you know, just you get to that point of the game, just kind of take your time. But, you know what? If you end up playing it, you could be like me and just you play it and you're like, wow, this is a really great game. I'm you know, really impressed by this. So you got Super Nintendo Mini, you got your Nintendo Switch Online, you got your Wii U Eel. Uh, plug that in, dust it off, and you can play <laughs> Super. You can play Link to the Past just about on anything you can think of. <laughs> Fired up on my Vita. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, a game that I don't need to put on my Vita because uh, Yangus, you and I got this one for free once upon a time. We did. I don't know if you remember. We did. Um, Twinsy and I both got the new Super Nintendo skinned 3DS. That was it. Yeah, the new the new 3DS. Yeah, it was um, um, stylized. Oh, like XL. Yeah, 3DS XL, XL. That was it. I knew there was something else I was forgetting in that title. The new Super 3DS XL, XL. One S something. You know, it's, it's like Microsoft title, basically. Version two point seven, whatever. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, we got the um, Super Nintendo skinned one, and it came with a download code for Super Mario Kart. Um, and that's going to be the last game I talk about. Uh, this is, I think, the first. Let's see. Other than there's one on the Atari that I used to play a lot. Some racing game, but it was horrible. Um, and position? oh, that was it. Yeah, I position. had that. I had that. Yep. I mean, other than the pixely mess that was. <laughs> and I'm sure I played that to death back in the day because I mean, too. anything on my little Atari, I did. But Pol- Super Mario Pol- Kart. Oh, I'm sorry, what? just interrupt real quick. Is Pole Position a Namco game? Uh, that is. Yes. The, okay. Is that because the one I'm thinking of that's called that? 
it's like when you start it up, it's like prepare to qualify, like over this really oh yes, like, crappy that's it. voice says that. That's uh yeah, I used to play that a lot on my Atari, but that is a Namco game. Okay, I'm sorry, Platy, sorry to interrupt you, but go on. Oh no problem. Uh, so yeah, this was I didn't I don't think I played a single racing game on my NES, and I don't think it was until a friend had me over at one point um, that I played Super Mario Kart, and it just became so much fun. I, I really never played this game one person. I don't even think I owned this. But uh, this is one of the few games that I kind of like Street Fighter 2 that you were talking about earlier, Pendy, that I only played with other people, like never alone, never really sat down and went through it all. Mm. But because I don't even was there any like progression here? You could just win the cup and that was it. It wasn't like there was unlockables like there are these days. No, no, no there are. Yeah. There, there are oh, a few are unlockables. Yeah, there, there's a few. Just a so, few, though. <laughs> just a few. But yeah, like most things back in those days, there wasn't a whole lot. But no, this is something that I it was great. It was not just racing because you're shooting shells and you're zapping people and you're throwing bananas and you're just doing all that comic mischief to try to knock the hell out of the people that you were playing against. It was like before Mario Party, this was my Mario Party game. Um, I remember a buddy had surgery one time and a couple of us went over to his house because he couldn't get up for, I think, like two or three days. Um, he was just laying on the couch. And he had two young kids at the time. This must have been about 99. He had two little kids. Um, and most of us were still in college. He, he got busy right away with his wife after high school. And we must have stayed over there for five, six, seven hours. I remember his wife was finally like, okay, you got to go home. Like, I remember both girls went down for naps at different times. <laughs> and we just sat there. And honestly, we probably played an hour or two of uh, Street Fighter 2, but then about five hours of Super Mario Kart and everything <laughs> from the races. Um, but the battle mode, I think, is what I really fell in love with That's with my this jam. game. Oh, yep. yeah, that is my jam. Knock, I mean, just having those big courses that you would go all different ways and whatever, and just heading at each other with shells ablaze and trying to pop those balloons. And God, there was the one that was just a big donut with like a crater in the middle. And I, I could I remember just so many times like loading up on stuff and just like, OK, I could see my friend had done the same thing. And we were just going around that circle headed right for each other. We we're just going to blaze out and somebody was probably going to lose a balloon or two. But, you know, you were fully loaded, just driving head on collision with each other um i loved I mean, this game mm -hmm. oh yeah oh my oh, god so I, so I, I spent so much time on it and i loved the feather item because when oh, we would yeah. be playing when we would be playing in the the big squares with the these sec section squares inside of the section squares that you would drive through to to, to get your items and everything mm -hmm. and um when you had a red shell coming your way and you had a and you just happened to have a uh, a feather and you could just leap over a wall just to not get hit by it <laughs> yep yeah uh, i have spent so much time in super nintendo mario kart that is easily my most played mario kart and mm -hmm. in the mario kart 8 when they included um what was the track's name donut planes i was i was ecstatic that they that they included a super nintendo tracks into the game oh yeah it was you, such I, a good it was such a good yeah. game that i did i actually did a lot of the one player for this and uh, the only thing that always pissed me off was that the computer has like a uh, auto catch up mode. Oh yeah, uh, they rubber yeah. band. They rubber yep. band it so like you could. They're never 
there's always going to be someone on your tail, and which is fine in the beginning missions. But as you get into the more difficult missions, then it can be really, really difficult because of that yeah. feature. Once you hit the star cup, it becomes really bad because yeah. you've got you've got like half half of the other AI on your tail the entire track. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you yeah. got to get real good about uh, using the drift and getting around those corners mm-hmm. on the later tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> that's where you know the star star roadmap became infamous because <laughs> it's how difficult oh, that could be. This, yeah. yes to this day <laughs> my kids know that that's my worst one and <laughs> I, I we play all the time on the switch we play our version that was <clears throat> one of like the two games um that we got right we bought smash brothers for the kids when i got my switch but this was the one that i ordered immediately and our family had fun Pretty much uh, the first year I had a Switch playing it. We don't play it as much anymore because they all want to do Hyrule Warriors or Pokemon now. But more when it was like brand new and the whole family would sit down and all four of us play. It was this, um, the newer one. But yeah, it always reminded me of old times. And like I said, this is one game that I never owned, but I definitely want to talk about it because I played it so much with others. Oh, it's something yeah. I don't really do anymore, but like, yeah. except for with my kids, but... I, I, love I, de- this. I definitely did not own this game. This was, again, the w- there was one kid on the street that had the Super Nintendo, so we would all crowd over to his house to play everything. So he had he had all the major titles, and Super Mario Kart was one of them, and we spent nice. so much time over there on that game. Mm-hmm. I, never, I never owned it myself until about five or six years ago when I finally just bought a cartridge for my Super Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, yes. I was okay at competitive racing, but uh, yeah, battle mode was definitely what I was best at, and I loved you know trying to snipes. Like if you got someone with the red shell, like nice, whatever, it's a homing shell. But if you can snipe someone with a green shell, that's that's when you're like, haha, he's got some oh, skill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I used to love um, timing green shells on corners so they would bounce <laughs> off and hit other players. <laughs> oh wow, I never <laughs> got that too. good. <laughs> shoot it behind you like it was it was versatile yeah or yeah, wait, am, I, am um, I thinking wrong did the green shells bounce off of corner yeah they just um no, no they bounce no they, they bounce, they bounce they, off stuff it's yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll come out of nowhere and hit you because yeah somebody shot one and it's been bouncing around for a while yeah red yeah, shell yeah. dies immediately but green shell bounces yeah around yeah if red yeah. shell <laughs> hits a wall at all um then it will just immediately disappear oh man so yeah i mean <laughs> Again, I, I don't have a whole lot to say, kind of like my sports games. It was awesome. There was great little things. We've talked about it some, but yeah, this is definitely a game that, I mean, obviously there's the modern iterations. I'll be honest, I've never found maybe the uh, N64 one, but the battle modes, like this I, this one's still my tops in terms of the battle mode. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know what was hilarious? Speaking of uh, like the different versions of battle mode, I think it was the DS version, whatever that was. That had the because the DS had the microphone, <laughs> so yes. you, you could blow up. You could use the microphone to blow your balloon back up. Yes. Yeah, yeah, balloon. <laughs> yep. yeah. yeah. I remember that. Was the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> just that like one was going just... to your DS. <laughs> blow it back up <laughs> quickly. <laughs> that one was just aptly named Mario Kart DS. Yeah, uh... well, yeah, but the one was also <laughs> called Super Mario Kart for the Super Nintendo. So yeah. I mean, the naming scheme thing kind of kept going for quite, for quite a few entries before they were just like, eh, just call it seven. Eh, just call it eight. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, Super Mario Kart, this was sort of like with um, Link to the Past. The first time I played it was, again, on my cousin's um, 
Super Nintendo. And, you know, it was really cool booting the game up and seeing, you know, what the first Mario Kart game looked like. And I remember with this one in particular, I was surprised that and this is the only game, one of the few games that actually had Donkey Kong Jr. in it before he just disappeared from existence. <laughs> particularly, oh, yeah, it, did, it did have him. Yeah. And um, this is also a game that first Mario Kart game that I played was Mario Kart 64. But this was the first Mario Kart game where I found one of my usual go to's for Mario Kart. And that's the Koopa Troopa. Mm. Just plain old Koopa. I play him all the time. And just about any Mario Kart game that he's in. But um, this is definitely one of my most played Mario Kart games as well. Because I played it a ton at my, on my cousin's Super Nintendo. I have played it on uh, you know, different uh, virtual console releases. Like on both my Super Nintendo Mini and my you know, Switch Online thing. It's my most played Switch or my most played uh, SNES game across all the other ones. Oh, <laughs> and wow. um, I'd love to find a physical copy of this game just so I can have it for my you know small little collection of Super Nintendo games. But this is one that is definitely a little trickier to get used to the controls. But once you get that game handled, you can just fly around courses so fast. I've done um, the Mushroom Cup on 150, which granted is the easiest one, but I've been able to do uh, some of the tracks in the game well enough that you almost are lapping the eighth place person if you can you know, mm-hmm. do well enough. Mm-hmm. It's it's It can be tricky to get the controls handled just right, but if you can nail this game, it's so satisfying, especially in the battle mode, too, if you know how to get your card around pretty easily. <laughs> well, yeah, there's like inventive ways that you can you can make little shortcuts for yourself depending on the power-ups and mm-hmm. things of that nature. So, yeah. All and, right. I was going to say, go ahead, Penny. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, and just it's interesting because I think, like, uh, Koopa Troopa was, like, kind of considered to be kind of, like, one of the beginner carts, and then, like, all the other carts had, like, different features. Mario and Luigi were kind of, like, a kind of mid-grade, you know, kind of could do everything everything a little bit well. Princess and Yoshi, you could had good acceleration. Bowser and Donkey Kong were just, like, big tanks. So you could uh, adapt different play styles based off the different carts, and it was very interesting to play around with that as well. I will say that with um, the cast of playable characters in this game, I find the hardest one to play as is Peach, especially if you play on 150cc. Like, she and Yoshi have good acceleration, but the problem is that they do not have a good top speed. So when you play on 150cc, and Yoshi, I think, has a bit of a better speed than Peach does in that game. But if you play as Peach, oh my god, the CPU catches (laughs) up with you so quickly, even if you know the track like the back of your hands. (laughs) Yeah, like it's they're good for acceleration, and and that's about it, because they don't have good strength, they don't have good defense. And they don't like I said they don't have good top speed so like it's it's good if you like if you're worried about like you know hitting the grass or hitting the wall a lot so you can catch up pretty quickly but beyond that it's it's kind of uh, sub average. Yeah, that's why I kind of go with um, or subpar whenever I replay the game because they have a little bit lower acceleration but they can also go a little faster and they can take turns just a bit easier too. Because mm. I feel like with Peach and Yoshi, you really even if you drift, it's really hard to get your turns just right. But if you, when you can master like Bowser and Donkey Kong, that's super fun because like the huge disadvantage is that their acceleration is the worst in the game. But when you can master the tracks with them, like the fact that they can just like plow through anything and have that top speed is amazing. Exactly. That's so much fun. Yeah, I love playing as Donkey Kong Jr. just because of that. <laughs> um, oh, but yeah, definitely another good game to check out if you are looking to play it under Super Nintendo Classic. Yeah. So uh, I think we've covered uh, some of the obscure and uh, some of the obviously big name launch title kind of stuff. Uh, we got Mario, we got Zelda, uh, we have uh, soap opera based ones, and uh, 
some other ones in between. <laughs> so uh, stay tuned. Uh, sometime in the future, we'll be back. We'll have to talk uh, Super Nintendo RPGs. And oh, yeah. uh, I think we might have a little bit larger cast for that one. Uh, even those of us that didn't play a lot back then, we, we've we've emulated a lot. Yeah, I, I do so. have one. I do have one outro question, though. Oh, because, yeah. Y- yeah. Because Yangus said something that made me go, oh, boy. And that is, what do you say? Do you say Super Nintendo, SNES, or SNES? I say all three. I say Super Nintendo. I've never said SNES in my life. I've never said SNES in my life either. <laughs> Neither have I. I've always said Super Nintendo. Honestly, I just switch off between the three. I have never really thought about it, I guess. I mean, I'll type SNES all the time. Oh, but yeah. that, even then, that's how I say it in my head, SNES. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, me too. Same here. I don't think maybe, maybe I've ever, a, I don't think SNES has ever crossed my mind because maybe it's I, a maybe it's a millennial thing. I, I don't know. I'm an old man, so uh, I'm not. I'm not. Don't let the... me in with millennials. What the hell? <laughs> Fuck you. Because <laughs> I've always well, you know SNES because it's NES. You don't say I, I've you know I know people NES NES NES. I don't know. Except for NES. that character. Yeah, I never. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that is a uh, that is a hill I've chosen to die on. I yeah, honestly okay. thought for a minute there you were gonna throw in like, okay, Mary Thwack Puff Puff, SNES, Super Nintendo. Or... <laughs> I should have done that. I should have done that. That's where I thought oh, you were man. going with that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I can puff puff just a word. <laughs> I've got to at least have a couple pixels associated with that. <laughs> Sixteen bitter. I'm not buying. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, if we're puff puffing SNES titles. Then I well, think you we're... do have to blow in the cartridges to get them to work sometimes. <laughs> oh no, I never blew in my. No, I never did that for Super Nintendo. No, never. That's a, I always thought that's funny. Like I've seen memes about like people blowing on Super Nintendo cartridges. Like who did that? Like they always, they actually always worked perfectly for me. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never time. had, I've yep. never had an issue with them just not running. Or if they did, I literally would just eject the cart, reinsert it, and it would work. Yep. yep. Yeah, with, with a top loading system, it just wasn't an issue. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of Slime Time Side Quest. We do want to thank Brewery and Impendi for joining us to talk about our favorite uh, SNES non RPGs. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Glad. Glad we could uh, come on and talk about them. And we'd like to thank Camp. Uh, we'd like to thank Capcom for unofficially sponsoring this episode of Monster Hunter Rise. Please check it out on March 26th. But yes, no. thank you for joining us tonight, guys. <laughs> or if you want to wait till July 9th, play the better version, Monster Hunter Stories. <laughs> Don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, <laughs> usually I do not. But what I do know about is that anytime we say Patreon on this podcast is when we go into this little thing where we say we don't talk about Patreon because we don't use it. We're just longtime fans that want to talk about the topics we know and love so much. But if you got some money you'd like to donate, consider sliding on over into the Dragon's Den at www.woodus.com den and click on support this site. Woodus has owned and maintained the Dragon's Den fan site for over 20 years and I'm sure would appreciate any donation. Uh, You can use his affiliate links to make any purchases, um, any of the versions of Dragon Quest 11S or basically anything Dragon Quest related that is on Amazon. He's got a bunch of links to it and a small fraction of that sale will go to support the den. If you have any suggestions for a future side quest episode, uh, you can contact Platty or I in order to you know, give us your suggestions. You can reach out to Platty via his Twitter, PlattyM3, or at least you could before he stopped using it. <laughs> That's right. Bye-bye, Twitter. 
<laughs> so if you want to reach out to Platy, the best way to do that is to use either the Dragon's Den uh, Discord via personal message or on the Dragon's Den itself via personal message. Uh, you can also contact me at Yangus the Legendary Bandit uh, via both those methods as well. Uh, we have a list that has tons of ideas on it. If you have any suggestions, we'd be happy to hear for you. Or, you know, in this case, with like our Super Nintendo episode tonight, you know, there's plenty of other games that we could talk about, whether it's uh, non-RPGs or RPGs like we're going to talk about in the future. So, you know, you want us to do another episode like that and bring on maybe some new people or, you know, bring back Pendy and Brewery and, you know, whatever the case might be, we can... I'm sure there's there's plenty more Super Nintendo games we can talk about. This system had quite a big library. But, again, if you have any suggestions, we'd be happy to hear from you. That's right. Bye, everyone. Super side quest complete. Super side quest complete.